Thank you for tuning in to Detail Memories. This episode is brought to you by Rotafest and Zenware. Rotafest is the most powerful mobile invoicing software designed for auto detailers and recon professionals on the market today. More than just a mobile invoicing app, it gives you a complete suite of tools to manage your business. Yes, it has a mobile app designed for the iPhone and Android to decode the VIN and create an invoice in the field. But it also includes integration with QuickBooks, customer management tools, text and email reminders, reports, and now inventory management is included in this powerful suite of tools. Learn more about Rotafest at rotafest.com. Talk about not being fully dressed. <laughs> Different. Oh man, if you guys knew the conversations that go on before we go live, you would be amazed we get anything done. <laughs> so good morning. Welcome to another episode of Road FS Detail Memoirs. Of course, every week we get together and we explore and meet with amazing people that are in the industry that are have amazing stories. You know, they're either detail business owners or suppliers, vendors, or partners. And today we're super excited because we have Ian Ramblecamp from Auto Fiber. And, um, you know, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time. And you and I were visiting at SEMA. And if you guys missed SEMA, you missed a great show. It was packed. We had a great time. Rod and I, I don't think, slept very much. <laughs> but it, it was still very good. But one of the things that, I mean, you're, you have a very unconventional journey coming into detailing. So let's explore the auto fiber story and how you got into the detailing world. Yeah, well, well, first of all, I'm not a professional detailer. So that makes me a little bit different. Although I'm pretty well versed in detailing because I've been selling products, microfiber products to detailers for over 20 years. Um, so that has built up a lot of experience and knowledge. Um, but so the way that I got into it was, yeah, I didn't come into detailing or even selling microfiber products because of that. Um, I just wanted to start a business. Um, I got out of college. I had studied a thing called cognitive science. So actually, I thought my business career was going to be more kind of like your guys's. So when I was young, I think if I had a predicted where I would be, it would have been more like road FS, like designing software. So I studied human computer interaction um, and user interface design. Uh, and so that's kind of how I got in. So I, I got out of college and I had no idea how business worked, how people made money. I mean, I had had jobs, worked in restaurants, um, you know, kind of jobs you have as a kid. Um, but I just had zero understanding. Um, and so, yeah, so I wanted to start a business and mm. my dad had had a business, um, importing microfiber and selling it. He was one of the first people in America to be selling microfiber. And so what I wanted to do was start an e-commerce business. Um, and so I bought a few cases from him, started selling this stuff on eBay, built a couple of websites. Um, and pretty much it just became 
this snowball that built up over 20 years of, you know, trying to learn business and e-commerce and really kind of fell into the whole detailing thing. Cause you know, with regard to microfiber detailers were the earliest adopters, um, compared to any other industry. Um, I think detailing in general, like there's a lot of innovation and they're always searching for new, you know, ways to solve problems and the industry's just changing all the time. And I, I think there was a great synergy too happening, um, like with the beginning of the internet, um, and detailing where there was like this explosion of information on the web forums. So really the way that I started was through web forums. There was a forum called Autopia. Um, and the, the guy who started it was actually in San Diego. His name was David Bynan. And, you know, I start, I met him, like he actually had, he had servers in his house, like, um, and so, <laughs> you know, just huge servers and he was running these forums. I think he ran actually for some of the other forums for some of the other companies that had created the stuff. Um, but anyway, so we kind of had this like tech um, connection, right? So we would talk about these things like web design and internet stuff and the future of the internet. But really, so I started helping him design products for his brand. Um, and, you know, really it became like a pretty solid wholesale business. Um, so really we were kind of behind the scenes supplying most of the, um, the detailing brands, microfiber and developing them products mm -hmm. along the way. And I, you know, I, originally I had started autofiber, the first autofiber, like if you go back to the Wayback machine, the I had created an autofiber site in 2003 and started trying to build the brand. But what happened was the wholesale business, the wholesale side just became so successful that that kind of fell to the wayside. Right. Um, but then around 2015 or 16, you know, uh, uh, microfiber became so much more uh, entrenched in the automotive detailing world. It just, became the de facto standard of everything. Um, right. And I realized that I had to create a brand around the product so that people um, connected our brand with the innovations that we were making because people didn't. So what happened was, you know, we would create these products, uh, sell them to these other brands. Um, and then another cop company would come along or a Chinese factory uh, trading company would come along and knock off the product, make it look exactly the same, same specs, same color, same everything. And it, um, but it, it would often usually be an inferior product. So really um, <clears throat> 2016 was when we really switched our philosophy more towards a direct to consumer type model and really trying to build the brand so that customers knew that um, that we were focused on quality and having a, a product. Um, so let me, let me really interject here, because I think this is a really key point to this. So when 
Um, when you're talking about that time frame of when you were getting the, the knockoffs and everything, um, we're still fighting that today. And I and I I'm always intrigued by it because you know you see people out on the current forums and they're like, you know, what brand do you use? What who do you go with? Oh, I go buy the cheap Costco ones. And I'm like, you know what? I do too, but I use those to clean the wheels with so I can throw them away because they're not decent towels. So how do you um, describe the difference between a quality microfiber towel and something that you're buying the bulk, you know, and then let's just, it's the Costco big yellow pack that everybody buys with the big nasty label on them. Um, how do you, how do you talk to people about that? Yes. <clears throat> so the way I think about it, like, honestly, I don't think the Costco towel is bad either. Um, and I encourage people if they like them for certain tasks to use those towels. Um, and from our perspective, we don't try to really compete with them on that. Um, mm -hmm. So it's interesting, sorry, when they first came out with that towel, like in 2005 or six, I had so many customers contacting me wanting for us to offer a similar product at a similar price. And, you know, it just isn't economically feasible from a business perspective. So we told our customers, you know, go ahead. If you like that towel, go get it. If you want better, higher quality towels, you know, you can still buy them from us. And, you know, within six months, 90% of those customers had gone and tried those towels. And then they came back and they were like, all right, you're right. We need better towels for our business. Uh, and so from a manufacturing um, perspective, it's just like anything else in the world, right? Like any product that's made can be made at different levels of um, quality. And even our company, yeah. we have, we, we sell all different types of qualities of products. Um, mm -hmm. And we're still big in wholesale um, and we supply different industries like janitorial and housekeeping, yeah. uh, golf, sports. And so, and, and a lot of those industries, they don't need the higher quality product. Yep. They don't need a yep. product that's going to last as long. They don't need um, to use like the most expensive high quality yarn. They don't need special edges or stitching or higher GSM, right? So there's all these factors that go into all these specific products that are designed specifically for detailing tasks. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, it costs more. And, and then the other factor is, so like our focus is not price. That's not the number one right. factor for our product. Um, where for Costco, that is the number one factor. And so right. what ends and up I think that's, I I think that's a perfect answer to that because, because that's always, you know, you see that and people are going back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, if you're in a market where it doesn't matter that you have this big nasty label that says Kirkland on it and it scratches the snot out of the paint that you've already just polished up, that why are you doing the work if you're just going to tear it up like that? You know, you're saving $3 on something that you're charging 900 to do. So, um, and like I said, I use them for certain things. They're perfect for wiping out you know, the inside of a trunk where it gets all nasty and greasy and the, the wheels and engine compartments, they're great for that because you're not worried about it. When you're, paying, when you're paying the higher price for the higher quality, you are concerned about that. I don't want to take a, a really nice, you know, uh, quality microfiber towel and get some nasty, greasy stuff out of an engine compartment on it. So they're great for what I call utility, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. I was, absolutely. I was doing some, and, and, uh, go ahead. Yeah. And so there's another factor to this also. So 
I mean, this business, I started this business in 2001 when I was about 21. Um, and now, you know, it's 2022 and I'm 43. Um, and we've done business with the factories that we're working with for about 15 years. So we've built these relationships with these factories overseas in China and Korea. And really they've grown with us and we've built them up um, the same way that they've helped build us up. And, the, you know, with Costco, they switch their factory and their supplier constantly, right? So since they're always chasing the lower price, what happens is, is there's like a bleed of quality over time. So if you've ever done business and uh, in China or Asia, if you don't build like a good relationship over time, they will, mm -hmm. and you're keep pressing them for a lower price, they will find ways to get you a lower price and they'll start to cut corners on quality. So what happens- oh, with, absolutely, absolutely. Is, and so what happens with Costco and other big box stores, since they're chasing price and price is the only important part, the factory, the quality goes down. So, and so there's a cycle to it, right? The, the factory will start with pretty good quality. And then over time, as they're getting beat down on price, they'll start skimping in different factors with different yarn or the, uh, the quality right. control. And so that the consistency of the product fluctuates greatly as it goes down and then they go to a new factory and it's just the cycle that plays out over time. Yeah. And that's why um, uh, if you've used Costco towels for years, you, you know, and even maybe even buy them from different Costco's, you'll notice that they're very low on consistency. Yeah, they're still yellow. That's the consistent part. So, um, so let's switch to because um, I, I, you know, I'm I'm a nerd. Obviously, we own a software company. So let's switch to some nerd topics about auto fiber um, and about your product. So let's talk about GSM. Let's talk about uh, quality, length of fibers. We just lost Ian. So we're going to talk about some nerdy stuff here and just a talk about some nerdy right stuff. As soon as Ian comes back, we're going to talk about that nerdy stuff. I think he lost his internet connection, but you know what? That's kind of, uh, that happens, man. So we yeah, will we're still live give him a couple seconds. Second so, back. so anybody, if you have questions while we're waiting, go ahead and spit them out in the comments. Uh, so when he comes back, I keep touching the table. Yeah, you, you're like waking the mic out. As like Rod's, Rod can't the like camera going. not move. <laughs> he starts to come in and then he goes out so but yeah and this is a real I, i'm really enjoying this conversation here he comes he's coming back so we're coming back so so no nope. back. so as we get into the conversation with him about the different qualities of microfiber um this is where your opportunity to ask a question of somebody that's done this for over 20 years so ask some questions i have a few that i and I, i've kind of prompted ahead of time but but things like length of fibers and the percentage of this material versus that material, that all makes a big difference as far as absorbency, um, twisted versus blended. I mean, there's all kinds of different stuff. This is about as bad as buying a latte from your local coffee shop. <clears throat> so, <laughs> I would like the gluten-free twisted fiber microfilament towel. That's why I, I guess I'm kind of the Costco guy when it comes to coffee. Give me a hot chocolate with some whipped no. cream. 
<laughs> no, I, I honestly, and I, and I, I would agree with Ian on this. I, I use the Costco towels for specific things. They're more of a utility towel. And I'm sure Auto Fiber has some and other companies have a utility towel as well that can be used for, uh, for things that are not necessary to have the higher quality. You're not going to take a car that you've just three stage corrected oh and, there he comes and and put some crappy towel on there so all right we're back so let's yeah can you guys hear me now yes we sir. can hear you we, about... we completely yeah. lost you so yeah. and, so and before we jump into rod's geek stuff right because detailers want to know the geek stuff as i'm listening to you and your story about starting out as being on one a web be a web guy and a software programmer I realized that you're the Jeff Bezos of the detailing industry. <laughs> wow. You yeah, got too much hair. I look more like Jeff Bezos. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I don't have so, so let's talk about some of the things that people have, like length of fibers, amount of this fiber versus that fiber. What does GSM mean? I mean, let's talk about actual microfiber to kind of explain it at a higher level because it means a lot. It's a lot different. If you take a really, let's, I'm going to say the word fluffy, but you're going to tell me why it's fluffy. Great big, really fluffy towel that feels super soft in your hand. It doesn't have any absorbency versus one of like your drying towels that has a high GSM. So nerd out, please. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, GSM is pretty much just the weight. So it stands for grams per square meter. And if you just take a piece of fabric that's a meter by a meter square with, you know, square meter, that's the weight of the towel. Um, so beyond that, GSM, so doesn't really mean anything. Uh, now it does correlate directly to the absorbency of the towel. So in general, microfiber absorbs about seven times its weight um, in water, um, but that can, you know, be kind of diluted by the quality of the material, right? So, um, so for example, then there's the blend. You know, there's the blend of the microfiber, which can be 100% polyester or, you know, 70-30 polyester and polyamide, 80-20, 75-20. So all those factors actually play into the absorbency also. So, for example, um, a lot of towels that you buy, like at a big box store, are actually 100% polyester. It's less expensive. The polyamide is actually the part of the product that is the most absorbent. Um, so, and that's part of the reason why 70, 30 towels absorb more. Now, another factor too, is that microfibers split. So it's actually, you probably heard this, you know, it's, it, it's split microfiber. And so what, what, what that means is that it's, it's actually chemically split in the dyeing process. They use like hydrochloric acid in the big vat where they're, um, where they're dyeing the fabric and it actually breaks down the five, the fibers a certain amount. And so what happens is, is the fiber, it, it adds all these pores to the fiber that allow the water to get into it. So it's all, uh, the, the, you know, the fibers and the yarn is actually kind of like, uh, like microscopic, uh, sponge. Um, and that's, you know, all those pores that create that capillary action are created through um, the splitting process. Um, and that actually adds to the absorbency, uh, capacity of a towel. Um, and so, yeah, like 
you can definitely have towels that look and feel exactly the same, but are going to perform completely different. Like it's actually not, you can't tell. Lots of people touch the towel and think they're going to determine if it's soft or if it's going to scratch. And that really is not determinative of, you can have a super soft towel that feels amazing. That's going to scratch like with very little pressure. And then you can have other towels that don't feel soft at all that actually aren't going to scratch at all. Yeah. Um, you can do the same thing with a pad. If you take a wool pad and a microfiber pad, a microfiber pad feels extremely soft, but a microfiber pad is for cutting. It's heavy cutting. It's, it's, it's not the, it's not the soft feel that determines what's it, what it's going to do to the surface. Yeah. And actually those microfiber cutting pads are actually, they're like a mixture of a couple different types of yarn um, of microfiber yarn. So it really is pretty complicated in the variation of all the different aspects that go into a quality product. So what is it about a towel? You know, if I, if you give me one that's really soft, the assumption is that it's going to be, you know, for polishing, right? So what is it in something that feels soft that actually cuts? You know, something that feels soft, lots of times what happens is a lot of these factories, they put like a special coating, like a chemical coating on the towel that makes them feel soft. And then that like washes off um, over a couple washes. Um, and really what determines like the, you know, how, when it comes to scratching or not, um, uh, you know, it's the fineness of the yarn. So it's actually how thick, you know, when it comes to yarns, there's this metric called denier, which is like the, um, which is like, what it really comes down to is the thickness of a, um, a filament of the fabric. So I, if I remember correctly, um, a strand of silk is one denier, I believe, or, and, and you know, human hair is like 10 denier. And then microfiber is technically anything under one, um, one denier. Um, and mm. so, it, but then below that, there's a whole range of, uh, of different deniers, right? So what happens is, so when they make the actual fabric, you know, if, polyester and polymide are plastic, right? So they actually, um, like, they, like, pull the, the plastic filaments, like, super thin um and uh but if you imagine like pulling a piece of like a rubber band or whatever to make it thinner and thinner and thinner you know there, there can be inconsistencies along so um the really high quality yarn manufacturers they can pull the yarn super thin and consistent and they can pull it thinner and thinner and thinner um but you know, that's a lot more expensive of a process. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and so then when it comes to cutting, um, what they do is that it, it's a mixture of different yarns of different deniers and different filament sizes and actually different, those cutting pads actually have two different kinds of yarn. One of them is like a extra stretchy type of filament. And the other one is like a more firm filament. So it actually creates this blend and the company that developed that, um, it, it was Meguiar's, I think, that de developed it with a Korean manufacturer. 
Um, and they really dialed in that fabric, like to the perfect um, combination to get that specific cutting ability um, by blending multiple different yarns. So normally though, like in towels and stuff, it's not a blend of different yarns. Although like, for example, the, um, the twisted loop towels that are drying towels, they are a blend of, a, of two different yarns. And the idea with that is to make it um, more friction, less friction when you're wiping a wet surface. So for example, if you take like a really plush, super soft, um, uh, high quality towel and wipe it along a wet surface, it creates a lot of friction. Um, because the, all, all those fibers are so small and thin and they're just creating way more surface area and surface tension on the surface to where, you know, the twisted loop yarn, because of the manual con uh, and the mechanical configuration of it, it actually creates way less uh, yarns on the surface. So it actually glides across the paint surface faster. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Now that you explain it, it makes sense. <laughs> Before it was like, oh, this just moves faster. So, um, so when it comes to um, things like, let's say that you wanted to create a new product, a brand new towel that did something high performance better. Um, what do you go through like your typical manufacturing R&D process where you guys come up with a you know, a prototype and you go to your manufacturer and you're like, I want it to be a 62 and a half percent of this and, you know, 40% of this, or, or what do you, what do you go through as the process? Do you just customer driven or? Yeah, it's a hundred percent customer driven for us. And so this is actually where my um, college degree plays a big part in what I do. Um, so you guys probably know like software testing, uh, user interface design. It's a very iterative process, right? Yep. And you, what you do, like, as it, one of the last things you want to do is have a programmer design, like, in interface, right? Because they are in the weeds of their development, right? And they can't think outside of where they are. Um, right. And so what you have to do, and what we were trained to do um, was to sit and observe you would you would get like you know 100 different people to use the software as it was designed and you observe how they click because different people click on different things in different places and their intuition is different about how the product's going to be used and then you take that information and you feed it back you know multiple times over different iterations and you create a better interface design and so, and, and how many times have we heard, why would they do yeah, that? Why, yeah, cause, cause <laughs> why, we, why would they ever do that? We I'm like, it, well, they did. Yeah, we call it yeah. monkey jabbing. If you basically gave a monkey a program and they would just like, Ooh, ah, 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 and the programmers go, why would they ever punch it in that sequence? And you're like, because it's a possibility. You have to go through every sequence. So yeah. Um, and that's the thing you don't know. There's no way to predict the way people are going to, act in front of a computer screen. And now the same thing comes with tools and products with detailers, right? So, and I use a very similar process where um, I'll actually have people use the product and we'll observe yeah. them use it, or I'll get feedback from 10, you know, to a hundred different detailers and get their opinion on how it works. And then we will go back 
to the factory multiple times and make changes and iterate the product over time. So, and this is what I say, like people are like, oh my God, you have such great ideas or you make great innovations. And really the, none of the ideas are really mine. Now, I think maybe I'm like the, I'm like the conduit through which the ideas come, um, but I am using this iterative process, working with detailers, feeding it back to the factory. Um, so to answer your question, um, actually, I am not really going back to the factory with necessarily uh, specifications, uh, like crazy specifications. What I'm doing is I'm going back and telling them, hey, look, this product's scratching, or we need this to be more absorbent, or this towel is folding over on itself more, or like, this is the problem. And then they come back with like five or six different versions, and I will have people test them <clears throat> and have feedback. And it's just a process we go through over and over and over again. Yeah. So, one other thing, so let me, one other thing I just want to say, so I have like a library pretty much of like thousands of failed product designs that, and it's like a well that I go back to sometimes like a customer, lots of times will um, have an idea for a product or a problem to solve. And I'll be like, okay, wait a second. I have this and this, and this, and we'll put these different pieces together, go back to the factory and say, all right, make this sample out of this different one, you know, all these different versions that we make. And lots of times we'll come up with a new product. And I, I think that's that's really good to, that you bring that up because I think that innovation is spawned out of failure. Some of it's spawned out of ideas. A lot of the ideas people have is, you know, we get we get constant ideas from customers, and it's how it's how our product, how RoadFS is driven forward, is our our customers giving us ideas. Occasionally, we come up with a good idea. Occasionally, but, but not very often. We're the same way. You have you <laughs> literally we have thousands of failures in our industry in the software industry where we can look at and the developers they're really good at they're not good at interface design like you said that's dead on but they're really good at going yeah but this will fail because of this yeah but this will fail because of this and they're kind of your litmus test of hey i have this idea and i want to do this thing where we we navigate from here to here in one less click and they will bring up what's missing well that click you're getting rid of is where we capture the data or how do we do that? And, and I think that that's really good because I think a lot of people envision uh, product design, whether it be microfiber or pads or, or polishes software as this, you know, uh, Rod and Ian and Jody are just sitting around dreaming up what's the greatest new thing we're going to do. And it's going to be the rainbow microfiber and it's going to be the greatest thing on the planet. And yet Somebody's going to come to us with a reason that's going to fail, but that's how innovation is spawned, is talking about what can happen and what can't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, lots. Of, I would say, yeah, failure drives way more than success. So, I mean, and here, here's one thing for sure, and I'm sure you guys know, like you can have an idea and think it's going to be the greatest idea ever, and then you bring it to market and it's a total flop. Or other things can be like the silliest idea, but it's like, hey, let's just go for it and try something. Yep. And then it's like this amazing seller, right? Oh, so, yeah. 
like, and it's the same thing with advertising too. Like you learn this, like when you're doing the marketing, <laughs> media marketing, or any type of marketing, you really have to be experimental uh, and having a scientific outlook of testing and, and actually being humble and not believing that you have the right idea and being open and agile enough to switch and um, and say, hey, wait a second, this isn't working. People don't like it. Let's switch to something else. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, those. I mean, those are really the fundamental things that I've learned over this period. And um, I, so, I'm super lucky. I feel like um, so. Like when this whole thing started, you know, towels is not like the most glamorous business, right? <laughs> <laughs> not like the super cool thing um but you know i've developed into it for so long and i'm so deep into it and man every day i love every aspect of my job and my business and i love talking to detailers and this is why like sema and these um these trade shows are like the best thing that ever happened to so starting to go into these things and um, has really changed the business for the better because, you know, detailers come up with the best ideas and there's always new problems to solve and they're always giving me feedback. And, uh, you know, I like negative feedback better than any type of feedback. So when any, in, if any, anytime a customer is complaining about something, I want them to complain more. Those are the best customers ever that are, you know, complaining about, the product um, because it really does it, it it gets the gets my mind going and then gets me thinking about problems that I need to solve and it, it's like the it's like the driving force behind the business so because here's what I would say like our products are not I mean I, I like to think that we're the best and that our products are the best but they're not I mean we have products that aren't the best and we have products that aren't as good as they can be and there's always room for improvement um, and so this is kind of what's crazy it drives me crazy when people are like oh what's the best towel for this or what's the best coating or the best pol you know polish yeah. or something oh yeah what's the best software for crm yeah. it's just like oh yeah. my god uh, that, yeah that's just the wrong way to think about it there really is no best Right. It's whatever works for you in that given situation. And I always, because, because we get that same question all the time, you know, what, what makes you better than these guys or what's the best software? And we always tell people, we're like, look at all of them and Go look. What, what works Talk for your them. company? What, where, what's the situation? Are you in a single, are you a single person operation where you have a single bay and you're doing one or two cars a day and your, your premium service is you know a two hundred dollar exterior detail with no correction, or are you a six bay shop with twelve employees and you do ceramic coatings all day long? The answer to all of those questions: software, microfiber, pads, product, polishers—they're totally different. If I'm the single person shop and my biggest deal is just doing an exterior wash and and I'm doing it for dealership work, I've got the cheapest polisher, the cheapest towels, and the cheapest product absolutely possible because it's about production. It's not about perfection. It's not about trying to make it, <clears throat> you know, you're not doing 50-50 splits on 2016 uh, Celica that's going back to the dealership in less than 30 minutes because somebody needs it. You're, you're getting it in and getting it out. Um, 
Jody and yeah. I were on site with a customer two weeks ago, right before SEMA, and it was 6.30 at night. There was oh, a 2016 Honda that had to get back to the dealership, and it was ugly. Yep. I mean, it had sap on and everything, and it was grab whatever pads you can grab, grab whatever polish you can grab, and and get it done as fast as you can. And it was a single stage, get it out the door, um, versus somebody that's bringing in their black Audi 8, and they want it to look no scratches, right? So. Those questions I, I, I love and I hate them at the same time. And my recommendation is always the same. Whenever ask, anybody asks me uh, about the software, I would say, we have features and whatever I produce this year, they're going to produce it in six to eight months if they're lucky and, um, and two months if and they're vice great. Versa. And vice versa. <laughs> whatever they produce, we're going to produce because you kind of have to, but try them out and see what, you, see what works best for you. I think there's a really important lesson there that you just shared. I think a lot of business owners, especially detail business owners, because they're so detail oriented, when they get a complaint, their go-to response is to bring up the wall of defense and go, oh, no, man, not my work, right? And you're like, look, I would rather have the complaint because it forces me to look at my product. It forces me to look at my team, my company. And I have to make a decision. Do I want to become better and more competitive or do I want to retreat in this wall of offense instead of moving forward? And I think that's a really, really important lesson for business owners. Looking back, you know, as we wrap up here, I mean, you, you have a 20 plus year journey. What are some things that you've learned along the way that you think are helpful for other business owners? Yes, I, I mean, I think that that one thing is the most important um, switch that you can flip. The idea of, um, you know, taking responsibility and taking the blame and then trying to improve. Um, because even if the customer's wrong, that, you know, it could just mean that your messaging was off and you just have to change mm -hmm. the way that you framed the problem or the solution and then you can take that to the next customer and so i mean a business is there's so many different layers to the business right like there's the customer facing part of the business there's the marketing and then there's the the behind the scenes part of the business which is like you know between accounting and operations and employee stuff and so the, i mean you can apply that theory of you know, taking responsibility and being open-minded and being humble it, it, rather than taking offense and uh, assigning blame. Um, to me, that's the most important factor. Um, and so it took me a long time to figure that out. I mean, at least 10 or 15 years. I have not always had that philosophy with my business. I used to wallow in sorrow about, you know, you know, problems and rather than taking them head on. Uh, and so uh, w one of the best books that I've ever read for my business um, was a book called um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And it's he has this concept called resistance um, and everybody has, their, your mind creates resistance um, to ideas and most people, you know, run from the resistance you know, the problems that happen. Um, 
but really what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to press into them and go towards the resistance. And really that it's almost like a barrier to entry because what a business is you're, you're solving problems for your customer, right? Whether you're a detailer, you're, uh, you're, or a software manufacturer or a towel manufacturer, really there's problems that you're solving for a customer and you're hopefully saving your customer time and they're going to trade you their money to solve that problem for them. Um, and so when you're, when you're going into the resistance and fighting these battles against it, most people fall away. And so there, there really is no competition if you're just pressing into these problems and trying to solve them. Um, yep, that's, awesome. that's perfect. So, so go out and read that book, the, the war of art. Um, and kind of in wrap up here, a couple of things uh, you can find Ian at, give us all your, you know, pertinent Instagram, details, pertinent website, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, the website's autofiber.com. My email is ian at autofiber.com. You know, we're on Facebook, um, Instagram. We even have TikTok now. Um, and then also, if you can, come to some of these trade shows. Yeah. I really, you know, suggest going to SEMA or Mobile Tech Expo or, you know, any of these uh, trade shows where these detailing companies and detailers are like literally, I mean, I sell to a bunch of different industries and I think detailing is the best industry. It's the best people. I think really for the most part, people are really humble and nice. And um, it's just a great experience. Uh, so many of the people, the businesses and customers, they, they've become my friends over the years. And it's just like, if you want to be really stoked on your business and inspired, you should go. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would second and third that. So next one coming up is mobile tech expo January. I think it's the 20 week of the, the very last weekend, but last week of January, first week of February. Um, go look Ian up. If you can't find them, you're really not looking. Cause if you can't find auto fiber that come on, they've been around for 20 some years. So you'll be able to find them. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, glad we finally got to, you know, hang out a little bit at SEMA and talk to you. Uh, everybody go out and, uh, you know, go vote for RotoFS Detail Memoirs at the MTE Golden Mike Awards. Go vote for Auto Fiber for company. It's just, you know, we got to give some love back to the industry. And I, I'm just absolutely blown away uh, at the number of businesses that have been in this detailing industry through the 2008 and then up this year as well. You know, you see all the negative stuff. You see all the people when COVID hit that were out of business in two weeks. And there's some of us people on this screen that have been through major downturns and <laughs> economic times. Just and, part of the process, you know, baby. Like you said, Embrace it's kind of, it. It's either running away from it and throwing your hands in the air or, you know, lowering your shoulders and going into it. And, um, I think that's the only way to deal with it. That's one of the things that, you know, Jody and I, people are like, looked it up. They're like, man, you're like a little bulldog. You guys are just tenacious and you have <laughs> to keep be. going, I think that's man. The key. That's, that's my right. message to businesses is man, you gotta be tenacious and you gotta just go after it. And, um, but to your point, you've got to be kind. You've got to help raise the whole industry up because when we, when we drag the industry down, that's when it starts getting bad. So raise people up, raise up the whole industry and, uh, and I'm just glad that you spent some time with us. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, man. Yeah, I appreciate, really appreciate you guys 
bringing me on. I think you guys have a great show here and um, I look forward to seeing you guys in Florida and anyone else. And yeah, to me, like I really try to just have a positive attitude just for my own mental health. Um, and so I am always just anytime a negative. So I like negative ideas because they help inform you of a problem you need to solve. But beyond internalizing that and refocusing it into something positive, I am only trying to remove any positive, any negative thoughts from my mind. And man, the power of that is phenomenal. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. And, that, that is, and that's so. something's trained in. I think most people have a problem doing that. You know, Jody and I talked about all the time. We'll come in here, we'll shut the door, and uh, we we announce that it's about to get ugly. I'm like, okay, here we go. Right, I'm getting on my box. I'm, on my I'm like, okay, I a, can take it. <laughs> it's a mental thing. It's a physical thing that I say, I'm going to do this. And then I go, okay, now it's time to get off of that soapbox and let's talk about how let's to solve, go solve the problem. The problem. And yeah. I think it's a cleansing thing that sometimes people can't just get off the box. They just continue to wallow in it, you know? So yeah, yeah. well, thank, thank you so much, man. It's been a great conversation. I always love visiting with you guys. Please go connect with Ian Ramelkamp Auto Fiber. Yep. It's on Facebook, Instagram, now TikTok. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you next week with somebody else. Have a great day. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. See, see you later, Ian. Thanks, man. Bye.